If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Montobel. And this week, I'm excited for you to meet Noah Kerner, CEO of Acorns, which allows millions of consumers to save and invest every day from one easy app. Noah was born in New York City's East Village. Noah has a colorful background, four times entrepreneur, co-author of Chasing Cool with the former CEO of Barney's and former DJ for Jennifer Lopez. In his 20s, Noah built the leading creative agency for the young adult market called Noise. Noah has been recognized as one of Billboard's magazine's top 30 under 30, Adweek's top 20 under 40, and Fast Company's innovation agents. He's also advised and invested in a variety of fast-growing startups, including WeWork, where he served as the first chief strategy and marketing officer from 2013 to 2014. Noah's a graduate of Cornell University, where he studied psychology and economics. And with that, Noah, I follow you from afar. Really excited to finally get to properly have you on today. Welcome, Noah. Let's start with the basics. What's Acorns in your own words? And go back to that early day, 2014. What did the platform look like then? And what does it look like now? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Alexa. So Acorns, we we describe it as the largest money subscription service. And we've helped everyday consumers save and invest over $15 billion, which is something we're obviously really proud of. And the key to that is that it's small amounts of money. So, you know, we're widely known for spare change, but you can also make small daily contributions, weekly, monthly, et cetera. But the key is it's really small amounts. And that's when you think about $15 billion in the context of small amounts, it's a lot of money. So in 2014, Acorns launched primarily as a roundup and invest to spare change product. Um, The money went into a diversified portfolio. We still stay true to obviously those fundamental principles of investing and modern portfolio theory. But our vision for the company is to build what we call a financial wellness system. And we've been laying the groundwork for that over time by adding products, uh, including our retirement account. We call it Acorns Later. I think a lot of people today think about retirement in a different way. They think about saving for later. They think about maybe continuing to pursue their passions. I think a lot of people also don't think they can retire because the safety nets are going to go away and, and we're living in a different time. Acorns Early is our kids product. It's a really sort of simple, charming way to invest in your kids. We created a banking product, which is all about helping you save more and spend less. And we just rolled out emergency savings, which is not your typical savings product. It helps you save up for an emergency and then helps you achieve milestones in in how much you can save for emergency. So those are five of the products that we've built. Over time, what you'll see with Acorns is that these products work together as a system to help everyday consumers save and invest as much as possible. And at at one point in the not too distant future, when you sign up for Acorns, you're gonna get all of the products that we have plus a few more, and then your money's gonna move automatically across those products for you, uh, rather than needing to set up individual accounts and make individual uh, deposits. So that's where we're headed. I love it. Um, 
let's go back to those early days as you guys were figuring out the business model. Walk us through a little bit about the business model and how you arrived at it. The business model is, I, I don't know if I'd call it the most important thing, but it's certainly one of the most important aspects to Acorns. And it's not just because subscription pricing is simple and transparent, which it is, but it's also because virtually every business in fintech that's been built for this customer base has made money off of fundamentally bad behaviors. So you think of spending, trading, borrowing, all these things. Our core business is not built off of any of those models. It's built off of a simple way to pay each month, $3, $5, whatever, you know, a month. I talk about this a lot, but I think the root of integrity in a business comes back to the business model. And so ours is decoupled from these behaviors that get people into challenging positions. So that's why we chose subscription pricing and we've been building that ever since. And it's our primary model. Obviously, as a certified financial planner and founder of LearnBest, I followed Acorns, love, love, love what you guys have built. And I think that micro-investing concept is incredibly powerful and very different than big platforms like the Robin Hoods of the world. Tell us a little bit about what makes it so powerful. The idea of micro-investing, at least as we see it, and Acorns is about long-term investing. We don't, you know, trading is not investing in our mind and it's not, this is about contributing small amounts of money very regularly to a diversified portfolio. So your dollar cost averaging and benefiting from compounding over time. And our whole message to customers is to stick with it. Investing is a long-term strategy. You should be diversified. You should learn as you go. You should be focused on compounding. You should be dollar cost averaging. Um, you should not panic when the market goes down. You should invest through that, all the things you know. But the whole experience has been constructed around trying to get people to manage their money responsibly. And you know, I, I think our biggest challenge as a, as a company and the thing that, that you know, we're always trying to overcome is inertia and the challenge of getting people to think about the future today when it comes to doing something responsible for themselves. And that's the challenge we, we try to overcome. What have you learned? If you have to say some of the truths that you've learned about how people think about money or don't want to think about money for that matter, what do you feel like you can trust and rely on around the American wallet? I don't know that this is something I've learned over the past couple of years, but something that I know is true about money is that money is an incredibly emotional thing. And yet the financial services industry is incredibly clinical and functional and focuses on functions and accounts and this kind of thing. When you get into what money drives and the kinds of things it causes people to do it, depression, domestic abuse, um, divorce, all these kinds of things, but also being saddled with debt is incredibly depressing and upsetting. And there's this incredible level of emotion wrapped up in, in this thing called money, but it's not really treated that way by the industry. So I think that's the first thing that we try to focus on on connecting with people on that level. And actually one of the things I'm most proud of with Acorns is when we, when we do our brand tracking, we actually over-index most of any company in this space when it comes to hope and giving people a sense of hope for the future. You know, Even if you're saddled with debt, you can invest spare change. And that gives you a sense of hope and optimism about the future that you might not have otherwise had. That also starts to help with confidence. On the behavioral economic side, the thing that I think is most profound about what these types of products afford is that, is, as Thaler would say, the smallest nudge can be a transformative action that fundamentally changes your life. So we've, we've done a lot of tests around this type of stuff, but one of, one of the ones that, I, I, actually the test that we ran that I thought was most informative and instructive, you can make a recurring deposit by the day, week, or month. And we tested $5 a day versus $35 a week versus $150 a month. And those are all, of course, the same amounts. But when you test them side by side and you look at actual participation rates, people participate at four times the level when you suggest $5 a day versus $150 a month. 
it's a logical thing that people would participate more, but four times the level is incredible. So if you think about that, that you could get people to engage at four times the level just by that simple adjustment of $5 a day versus $150 a month, there's so much power within digital product and these simple nudges. If you focus on behavioral economics and if you focus on people's emotions and, and what really drives people and kind of unlocks people to take positive actions in their life. So those are, those are some of the things. What were the other unlocks or anything that maybe would be surprising? And keep in mind, there's lots and lots of fintech entrepreneurs and investors uh, listening to this podcast. Give us any other kind of big takeaways or, or lessons that you felt like you could really build the business on. We serve everyday people. When you spend time with people and you talk to people who are not wealthy, who haven't learned a ton about money, who are just figuring this stuff out, what's remarkable is how hard it is to understand the basics of investing as, as an example. I, I just spent a plane ride talking with, with somebody for five hours about this stuff and trying to explain diversification, trying to explain compounding, forget about trying to explain dollar cost averaging, but trying to explain to someone what an actual portfolio is. The idea that we as Acorns invest your money into the market, what is the market? Are you the market? What is this thing called the market? What is a portfolio? What do you mean diversified? Can I just buy a single stock? What does it mean when you have lots of stocks? It's remarkable how hard it is to understand this stuff. And I'm reminded of that every time I interact with just about anybody, including friends from college who have, ma have made money and just don't understand this stuff. The most significant thing to do in this space beyond trying to connect with people emotionally is really understanding how difficult this stuff is to understand. As part of that, understanding how to simplify things for people. People use the word simplify or simple all the time. I don't think people really understand how to simplify things or what kind of level we're talking about. Because this stuff is just very difficult. To make things digestible for anybody is hard and it takes a lot of work. And it takes the act of stepping outside of yourself and walking many, many days and miles in other people's shoes. It takes being empathetic and listening. What's some of the stuff that you see as like big problems that are coming up the pike or that you think need to be worked on or just things that you've even gotten interested in? I'd love just to get a sense of where you think the wallet's headed over the next decade. My answer to your question will be the same seven years ago as it is today, as it is 10 years from now. And Acorns and the way we think is not about chasing a trend or a fad or trying to introduce people to exotic instruments or new asset classes that might be volatile or things that it's really the basic, simple delivery of, of, of responsible money management tools. And so everybody needs an emergency savings account. Everybody needs a retirement account. Everybody should be investing. Everybody needs some cash to spend. Everybody's got some bills and, and debts. I, I believe everybody should give a little bit. If you've got kids, you should set aside some money for your kids. These are all the basic things you should be doing. And then you should be doing it within the construct of a responsible money management system. And that's why we say financial wellness system. And we want to make it really easy for you to open these products automatically and move money across these products so you don't have to think about it. So it's not for us about what's coming up or what's going to happen in the next 10 years. It's about what does the everyday person need to have a better life and what, where should they be putting their money? And the answer to that question is easy. The problem is that the industry doesn't prioritize that stuff because you don't make money off of putting somebody's money into an emergency savings account. Where do you think there's a lot of white space around the wallet? An answer may be everything's been covered, but I'd love just to know, is there, or is there sort of anything that you've 
sort of fantasized or thought about, uh, you know, just could be a fabulous product or tool out there. I actually think the biggest, as you say, white space and money is family. I don't, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to deliver products that get at the heart of the family system and help parents educate their kids about money, which the school system hasn't done. There are some plans that are, but I don't, but I don't see that happening. Anyway, so that, that to me is the most interesting space. But from a product experience perspective, the most interesting white space is delivering a simple money management experience for everyday people. And that hasn't been done. And I think it partially hasn't been done because people focus on things like goals and planning and budgeting and these, frankly, complicated concepts and and words that people don't really understand. Like when you ask, if you ask someone, do they have money goals? They will tell you yes. When you do research and they say, what are your money goals? People will say yes. But actually in reality, the large majority of people don't have money goals. They might have life goals, but they don't have money goals. So when you start with the, with the goals at the center, you've lost people already. Just simply allocate my money to the places that it needs to go, make it really easy, don't make me work for it, and don't, don't try to turn me into a money genius before you've, you've driven me to take action, I think, you know. I remember having this moment where I, every day I went to work and I said, I'm really competing with apathy, which is just that people are like, I can't think about my full financial plan. I've got to think about like the problem that I have to solve today. And 78% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. And I feel like self-driving wallets, where you really just have a machine that manages everything. And Acorns is so close to this in so many ways, is the future. So disagree, agree, add on. How do you think about self-driving wallets around the future of America? I think the idea of using AI, the amount of stuff you need to know about each person, the things that the person has to do to, to let you know about them, them said all the different accounts people have, have the, the cards, the things they need to connect, all this work that they have to do. The amount of work it takes to do all of that, to let you properly know what you would need to know to automate my money that way is impossible. I think it's, I, I think it's a fool's errand to pursue it. It sounds great. <laughs> I think we have the formula for how to do it, but it's not gonna be perfect for any person. That's right. It's gonna be good enough so that we can reach as many people as possible and help them responsibly manage their money. You have to put it out there and you want to get it into as many people's hands as possible. And if you're pursuing this perfect ideal of AI and automation around money, I just feel like you're going to be in the lab forever. How have you guys thought about distribution? Pay forward some of the best lessons that you have to everybody listening. What, one of the funny criticisms we get is that Acorns is so simple and so basic. Isn't it inevitable that everybody who uses Acorns is going to grow out of Acorns? That critique is built on a fundamentally flawed understanding of what's happening in the economy and what's happening with the middle class. It's based on the notion that upward mobility is a reality for everybody, and it's not. So actually, what the largest swath of America, the middle class, needs is a simple way for them to manage their money throughout their life where there isn't the kind of upward mobility that maybe one day existed or didn't exist, or you know, when you have flat wages or decreasing wages, all the phenomena that are in effect today in, in the American economy. You asked about the biggest white space, but this is the biggest market. And it's not about building a product that graduates people into these new income strata. It's about helping them move through life by making it simple and easy and rewarding, providing hope, keeping people committed. But you don't need fancy products to help everyday people manage their money. In fact, the opposite. You need the opposite. You don't need tax loss harvesting. I don't know what tax loss harvesting is. I'm still trying to get people to understand compounding. 
and diversification. I still can't explain compounding well enough personally so people understand it, which means maybe as Albert Einstein said, it's, I don't understand, <laughs> I don't know. But these things are really hard. It's really hard. And so I think that's a, there's a fundamental misunderstanding also from investors in the industry about what is really required to move the majority of Americans and frankly, the people around the world through life and through the money life cycle. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Noah, I want to transition a little bit to you because I think you are so fascinating. You know, you've talked before about the dichotomy that you experienced growing up shifting between private high school by day and working as a DJ by night with some obviously big, big names. Tell us a little bit about sort of that, how that high school experience shaped you today. I'm a New York City kid. I grew up in the East Village. I was a public school kid until high school, actually. And, and the dichotomy as a public school kid was my parents got me into tennis when I was really young. So at night, I would play tennis with the wealthiest kids in Manhattan. And then high school... I went to private high school and got into DJing when I was like 14 and hip hop nightclubs and things. So, so, so it was like, you know, going to school by day with wealthy kids. And then at night, not all wealthy kids, obviously, but then, then at night being out in hip hop nightclubs, you know, across the city. That experience moving between these worlds was a really core part of my life as a, as a child. And that has, I think, really informed what, as I've grown up and become an adult, has materialized into like what I want to focus on and, 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 and where I think I can add the most value is sort of bridging those worlds. I decided at one point on a purpose of leveling the playing field and that that would be the thing I would, you know, I would focus on. And I think intuitively when I, when I wrote that down, I understood, wow, that goes all the way back to my childhood and moving between these different playing fields all the time. Was there something that your parents did that stands out that helped make you special? And I think it's safe to say you're special. You running a multi-billion dollar company. If you had to attribute one thing that they did that you would do and pay it forward to your own you know, children, how would you think about that? What was it? They never answered why with just cause. That was the most important thing my, my parents did for me. So they said another way, they always nurtured my curiosity and my creativity. I think one of the pivotal moments in a kid's life is when all children ask why, 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 and then somebody in society confronts them with just cause. It could be a parent, a teacher, a pastor or whatever, just cause. It's just cause, kid. This is the way it is. And that fundamentally changes the child from an artist to someone who's obedient to authority. I believe one of the things that makes the best founders talented is just not really listening to those external forces. And like when they think you're crazy, you just move forward. Where does that courage come from in you? How have you kept that courage strong, even in the face of maybe some of your darker days, of which I'm sure there has been many? Yeah, by the way, I don't always love what I do. I definitely don't always love what I do. I think that I felt from very early on compelled to do the things, you know, that I've done in different times in, in, in my life. So it's more of a compulsion, actually. 
you asked before about childhood. I mean, it goes right back to childhood. Like my parents, and particularly in this regard, my mother helped me develop courage. And that was a, something that was really nurtured and cherished in my household. The idea of standing up for what you believe in, saying what you feel, even when it's not convenient. I believe really deeply in the things I believe in and the mission of Acorns and helping people responsibly manage their money. And the idea that we would do something other than that is unacceptable to me. You couldn't pressure me to move us in a direction that wouldn't be at least our best attempt to look after the financial best interests of the up and coming. That's our mission. You would have to drag me by my feet out of the building and say, we're replacing you with someone else. That would be how it would happen. Is there something that you hold as sacred? Has there been like a principle in the company or something that you, it was just immovable to you um, as you thought about building the mission? Uh, what was it? If I had to point to the one that for me is most front and center, it's our fourth value, never stop growing. I mean, my favorite thing about Acorns is the brand, is the idea of Acorns. It's not just a, it's not a company or a product, it's an idea from tiny acorns, mighty oaks to grow. Like that is the metaphor for life. It's the metaphor for how you should think about your money. I think we all have maybe different definitions of life, but I think the purpose of life is growth. Last question on this, Noah, you've given the advice before, do what makes you come alive. How would you advise people listening to find what makes them come alive? Put that into words. I think we all know what it is that makes us come alive because we've all come alive in, you know, in different ways. It might be the things you feel compelled to do. There are so many things, I think, in each of our lives that, that that and moments where we feel most alive. And those are the things to really focus in on and try to harness um, when you think about connecting the dots professionally. Because what you spend most of your time on, if it's not something that makes you come alive, it's going to be rough. It's going to be painful. And even if it is something that makes you come alive, it's going to be painful. But it's going to be a little less painful. <laughs> So I think I think I think you have to dig into the things inside of yourself that 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 you intuitively know make you come alive, not hide from those things, not run from those things, like confront those things, write them down on a piece of paper and spend time thinking about how can you connect the dots on, on that and, and bring that into your life professionally. I love that, Noah. Now, I'm going to quickly go to the quick fire round. I'm going to ask anything and you're just going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, but I want to ask, what's your favorite interview question when you're asking somebody whether or not you know you want them to join uh, your team or Acorns? What's a question you like to ask to get to the core of who somebody is? The question that gets the most interesting answers is, if you could work for anybody past or present in any field, who would that person be and why? And I always say it doesn't need to be in this field or in your, in your craft. It could be politics, art, sciences, whatever. Who would that person be that you'd want to work for and why? And then I usually follow with what, what, what is it that you'd want to learn from that person? And I just get the most incredible answers. But it is the question where people go, oh, that's an interesting, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before. The answer to the question says a lot about who the person is and what they're about and what they admire and, 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 and I think what they aspire to be. I like that a ton. Favorite book? Favorite book that you've, it can be anything that you come back to and you think really had an impact on your life. When Breath Becomes Air, the author passed away during the writing of the book and his wife finished it. When she took the pen, I was just moved to tears. So I was on a plane actually reading it during that transition when, when he had passed away from cancer and she ended up finishing the book. And it was, it, he wrote it beautifully, she wrote it beautifully, and she just knew him and knew how to complete him and his work. 
And it was just such a, sorry, this is not a sentence, but it was just such a beautiful moving thing to witness. So there's no business book that could move me that way. If we fast forward two years, how many days a week will we be in an office? As many as we want. That's a really good answer. No one's given me that answer. I like that one. Other than Acorns, is there one category of innovation that you're most intrigued or curious or it's become infectious for you? What would it be? I'm most moved by medicine. Actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a vet. I love animals. I love reading about companies that are working on innovations in health, in health and medicine and, you know, and helping, helping people with incurable diseases or focused on really helping people live better lives while we're here like that. I think of the work you can do, being a doctor, maybe the most noble work. If you have to think about the moment at Acorns that has left the biggest impact on you, what was it? Like a moment that you really, like, you're 90, you look back at this all, it changed you. What was it? Maybe my answer is that I don't don't know that there's a moment because back to the growth, like I'm constantly learning and growing, I'm constantly growing. So it's kind of throughout the day there are so many moments each day where I'm confronted by something moving or interesting or frustrating or painful. Nobody should be under an illusion that building anything is romantic. The ride is, um, actually I wrote a book when I was too young to write a book, but it ended with a, with a quote that Julian Schnabel, the artist told me, and he said, the process is the prize. Oh, that is a beautiful quote. No, you're such a romantic. I'm like, I'm completely taken away. I'm, I love this so much on so many levels. Um, the process is the prize. That's a really beautiful one. Um, that's so cool. Um, Noah, I wish I had another hour to interview you because I feel like we haven't gotten into some of the nerdiest parts of the the wallet here, but one, we're just rooting you on. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, my life's mission has been this category and I really just have to say, I admire you and I'm so grateful. And now that we've done this interview, I feel even better um, that Acorns is in your steady hands here. Everybody out there, if you haven't already, uh, make sure you check out Acorns, download it, use it, join the 11 million and growing uh, user base doing really, really cool things. And you can join us next week for Ink the Founders Project with Alex Montobal. And again, Noah, we're rooting for you. You're absolutely awesome. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I really appreciate you having me on.